0: Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. It's good to be with you, Church Online family. It's so great to be with you. Glad to have you with us live streaming today. And uh, today I'm concluding uh, the final part in a, in a message, I'm sorry, in a series that I've been doing for the last last four weeks, this is the fifth week, I've been talking about the subject of purpose. And so this is the final message in that, and uh, I think I saved the best for last. So y'all ready? Yeah. Today I'm going to be talking about your purpose in God's church. Your purpose in God's church. Now, I've spent the last month talking about this topic of purpose, how in many ways it's an overused and um, oversimplified at times term and phrase that people use about their purpose, and there's a lot of confusion about it, and I try to just bring from Scripture so much clarity about what God actually communicates about purpose and about our life. But today I want to talk about your particular purpose in God's church, not just God's church at large, but specifically this church. If you call Grace Avenue Church home, if this is your church, if you're planted here, if you serve, if you give, if you love, if you're connected to relationships here, and you call this place home, I want to talk about your purpose here in God's church. Now, first, let me just start with a, um, a phrase that Jesus used, something Jesus said. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. So Grace Avenue, first and foremost, it's, it's not my church. It's God's church. I get to answer someday on how I stewarded God's church. But for, for now, so that the air is clear, this is not my church. Now, if the IRS comes knocking and wants to see something or the state of Texas wants to know if we're uh, not some crazy cult or something, they have a right to say, are you a church? And I'll say, yes, it's my church. I can't say, oh, sorry, can't talk to you. It's God's church. (laughs) But it is God's church. Are you with me? And I want to speak this message today because it is so important, so important to me, this topic that I'm speaking on, that when Grace Avenue began 10 years ago, I actually spoke on this topic for 10 weeks Ten whole weeks, uh, we, we did a few things. There was a, a huddle of people in a living room, and we, we prayed, we worshiped, and then I talked about this topic for ten straight weeks before we even opened the doors to anybody and said, hey, uh, th- this, is, this is a church <laughs> we're going for. it. We're going to believe God's going to do something. And that was over ten years ago. Um, now, some of you are asking the question right now, what's he talking about? What's the topic? Some of you might be thinking, is it worship? Is it serving? Is it giving? Is it hearing the word? Is it praying or is it attending? Some of you might think it's worship because we're told to love the Lord our God with all our hearts. And we're supposed to worship with a whole heart. So you might think, well, of course, that, that's the most important thing. We come in. We're, we're God's people. We worship. Some of you might think it's serving because we know that Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Some of you might think it's giving. Because we understand that at the heart of Christianity, sacrifice is everything that it is founded on and everything that comes in and from Jesus and in and through our lives when we say we're Christians. We understand there's supposed to be sacrificial giving in our life from our time and our talent and our treasures. We understand that we're supposed to be giving people. Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. So giving is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we do it, right? So, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Maybe you think I'm talking about hearing the word because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Maybe you think I'm talking about prayer because I talked about prayer a couple of weeks ago and Jesus prayed early, often, and late. He was praying early in the morning while you're still asleep. (laughs) While you're on Netflix, he was still praying. He prayed all throughout the day. He taught his disciples how to pray, but I'm not talking about prayer today. And even when it comes to attending, you think, oh, yeah, that's what it is. He's talking about, we need to be in church. We need to come to church. We need to, we need to be an attender. We need to be one who belongs in church, not hoppers or shoppers. Are you with me? But I'm not talking about that either. Have you guessed it yet? Probably not. Those are activities. All of those things that I mentioned, those are activities that were created for and were actually called to participate in as as part of God's church, as part of God's family, okay? But here's the thing. You can do all of those things actively and still not be living out the thing I'm talking about today. You could still not be living out the very thing that I'm speaking on today when it comes to your purpose in God's church. See, the thing I'm talking about today is more of a function than it is an activity, It's a function that operates in and through our life. See, being a part of a church, it can keep you busy. It can keep you connected. It could keep you fist bumping people, having coffee in the lobby with people, connecting throughout the week for lunch with people, hanging out in connect groups, going to men's groups, going to women's groups, getting healed, getting hold, growing deeper spiritually, getting deeper roots in the faith, teaching you to pray. You can do all of these things and be really, really moving forward and just taking a lot of ground and get a lot of traction in your spiritual life and still not be doing the thing that I'm talking about today. The one thing I'm talking about today is about being in unity with others in your church family. Being in unity with others in your church family. That's the primary function that I'm talking about today. To truly be in unity with other Christians in your church family. Not the world, but in the church. I want to explain why this is so important. What I'm saying is that your purpose in God's church is to be in unity with other Christians. Now, how do we know that? Okay, on his way to the cross, Jesus prayed that we would be unified. That was his prayer. Look at this, John chapter 17. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them glory that you gave me, so that they may be as one. He's talking about being unified, that we may be one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I want you to think about this. This is the final moments before Jesus goes to the cross. This is, this is right before he's betrayed and arrested. This is, this is the fulfillment of time where Jesus knows he is going to finish the very thing he was born for. Do the very thing he was born for. And here's his prayer. Not that we would be successful. Not that all our dreams would come true. Not that we'd find our soulmate. Not that we'd somehow figure out a way to get free Wi-Fi everywhere we go. (laughs) But that we'd be in unity. That we would be one. That when the world looks at the church, that they're drawn to God because of the unity that they see in the church. This world is chaos. And this world is broken. And everybody's typing away on their... Social media, what's the answer? Why won't they get it together? It's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. You know what God says? It's our responsibility. The church, not the president, not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not the independents, not Bernie and his mittens, (laughs) you and I, church family that's who the responsibility falls on. Well, it's up to God. Whatever he wants to do in this world. No, God said, it's up to us. He said, you are the light of the world. You. Not a president, not a white man, not a black man, not an Asian man, not a woman, not any political party, not any race, not gathering of foreign nations, not everybody coming to the same agreement about the same things. That's not God's plan. God's plan was Jesus. And Jesus said, through me and you, Father, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, that is an example of unity. And through that unity, I pray that unity into the people that you've blessed and loved and saved. I pray that they're one. Now, why is that a hard pill to swallow? Because relationships are messy. Can I get an amen? Amen. Relationships are messy. Relationships are complicated. Relationships are complex. Relationships take effort. They take work. They take listening. They take understanding. They take selflessness. They take commitment. They take intentionality. Now, we have that understanding when we go to work. And, you know, whenever we go to work and we start a new job or we're in a new place, a new career, you're like, what's the manager like? I don't know. What's your boss like? I don't know. He's all right. What are your coworkers like? I don't know. They're all right. And we kind of have our own opinions about the vibe that we have, but we work to keep our job. Somebody's got to put tacos on the table. Amen. Those tortillas aren't just going to show up at the door. they got to be paid for. Unless you have a good huelita that can take care of you. But the rest of us... (laughs) The rest of us have to figure out how are we going to pay for this? So we work effortlessly and we ask people to pray for us so that we're able to work in the environment that God has placed us in. But when it comes to church family... We think like Americans. Ah, I went there to church. I don't really know those people. I, don't, I, you know, I didn't really connect with those people. You came once. Or you came for a month and sat in the back. You never served anybody. You never gave anything. You never prayed for anyone. All the things that the Bible tells us to, to do now that we are part of a family. You never encouraged anyone. You never helped anyone. You just, you just sat like, like a taker. And you took, and then you complained about it and said, I'm going to try another church because I just didn't really connect there. That's about all the slaps I'm giving today. The rest should be really, really gentle. That's probably not true, but I was trying to give you hope. So in church life, it's, it's much easier to do the things that I mentioned at the beginning of the message. Attend, pray, give, serve, do all these things because those are activities and we can do all those things and I can still hate Jonathan's guts and still have an offense with somebody else and still be in a major disagreement with someone and just say, you know what, I'm just going to work in a whole other area of the church. In fact, I'm going to go to the second campus. When they, when they plant the second campus, I'm getting out of here. I'm going over there because I don't have to deal with them anymore. Are you with me? Oh, I'm coming at you this morning. We're doing this. We're doing this. Okay? The world is broken. The world is chaotic. The world is finding reasons to cancel you and your kids and grandkids for misunderstandings, disagreements, misinterpretations. The church has some work to do to show what it's like to be on the same page, to show what it's like to be a different color, a different political party, a different upbringing, a different background, and to stay committed to Jesus and his church, to stay committed to one another in spite of of what the world says, they shouldn't be getting along. They, they shouldn't be getting along. They shouldn't be in the same connect group. They shouldn't be serving on the same team. They shouldn't be taking a picture together. They shouldn't be friends. They shouldn't be hanging out. No, no, someone needs to bring a dividing line to this. You know, Jesus didn't choose 12 of the same type of people. He chose 12 very imperfect, very different people from different backgrounds. Stuck them all together. And that was chaotic. Chaotic. And that was messy. And there were many times I, I believe that the Jesus face palm was in action. Because it's almost like how many times do I have to... You see this in Scripture where he's, he's flustered with the things that he's already told them that they're not getting. And this is the thing that in 40 years of church life, I still don't think we get as the church. I still don't think we get it. I still think we can give and pray and serve and, and attend and go and belong and do classes and serve the community and help the poor and help the homeless and do all these kinds of things and still not be connected to one another. And in our, I'm talking about in our heart. I'm not talking about a fist bump. I'm talking about heart and soul connection. Jesus created a family when he created the church. He didn't create a social club. It's not a job, right? Like, if you don't like your job, you can quit it and just find another one. There's a covenant that comes with God that's supposed to extend to the family. Did anybody else's parents get mad whenever you, you know, you got into a fight with one of your siblings? Whoever you, whoever raised you, your grandma, whenever you called them a name? Oh, man. My, my, my dad could get along with just about anything in the house, my stupid self doing any stupid thing, but the moment I called my brother a name, oh, Lord, his fuse would blow. The moment I would, I would do something within the family to break the family, to dishonor the family, oh, man, my tail was sore every time. That's the button that would push him. Okay, okay. Now, when I preached this message, um, this topic for 10 weeks, over 10 years ago, I didn't know that Christians were going to be online tearing each other apart, or like they have the last year, deleting each other off of social media, canceling one another, and giving a terrible witness to the world. I didn't know. It was a, I really thought social media is going to be an incredible tool to advance the gospel, to move the good news forward, to bring people together, to have rational, clear, good, helpful discussions. In fact, it was the complete opposite. In fact, the majority of Christians that I see online are doing exactly the opposite. When you start your post with "just letting everybody know what I'm about to post," if you don't like it, you can unfriend me now. That's probably not a sign that you're into unity. Probably a sign you're not a bridge builder, but you're a bridge burner. And you want to burn them to hell in in the process. Guys, that can't be us. That can't be the church. That can't be God's people. And right now it is. And we look at the nation and say, What's the problem? I'll tell you what I think is the problem. This is just my opinion. I'm not God. He has his reasons for why humanity is the way it is. But I'll tell you, America has been a leader in the country and uh, in the world and has been a leader in many ways, even spiritually, but now we're not. Now we're not. And our generation has to answer for this someday to God. Every generation has to answer. First century, second century, third century, fourth century. We go on through 2,000 years of history since Jesus died. Every generation is going to stand before God and answer for what they did with his name and his church. I want to stand and say that we try to unify God's people around his cause, his church, his name. Not around a political party. Not around arguments. Not around agreeing on everything. But united around the common cause of Jesus Christ, his church, and his cause. Are you with me this morning? See, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. You and I, it's talking about us. We are all different parts in Christ's body, but there's still only one body. We're different parts. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. There must never be any division in the body allowed. Instead, all the members must care for each other equally. You want to start? You want to talk about where equal treatment and justice start? It should start in the house of God. It should start with God's people. We shouldn't have to look to the world to figure out what it's like for racial tension to be solved. We should look to God and look to one another. And we should be living this out. And this is the very thing that God says. This is the thing that will get the world. We're always complaining about saying, how are we going to raise our kids in this world? I'll tell you how. It starts with us. We look in the mirror. We do our part. We, we get past checking the boxes of, I, I serve, I, I give, I pray, love, you, love your brother. You're a Republican? Love the Democrat. You're a Democrat? Love the Republican. Okay, I'll get off the politics. Let's go. Number one, um, hang on, next, next verse. 1 Corinthians 12 26 through 27. When one part of the body suffers, think about, do you think about your life this way with people in this church? When one part of the body suffers, every other part is to suffer with it. Right? You never stub your pinky toe? Bam. Oh, your whole body suffers. You go, you're down for the count. You're on the couch, calling into work. Your whole body suffers. Think about it like that. When a person in our church is suffering, all of us should, should respond To them because they're suffering. Not just like, oh man, praying for you, bro, praying for you. Hey, what are we getting for lunch? No, how about, can I buy you lunch? You stay home, you good? I'm gonna send lunch to your home. I'm gonna make you lunch. I wanna take care of your lunch. I wanna take care of dinner too. We're gonna start a meal train around here, make sure you're good out of the hospital. You're not focused on that. You need anything? Your kids need anything? You know what? I'm going to make a target run. I'm going to hit that clearance section with those toys, get some good deals, and I'm going to take care of your kids. Are you with me? Because when one part is suffering, all of us should be suffering. But do we see it that way? When one part of the body suffers, every other part is to suffer with it. And when one part of the body is honored, every other part is to rejoice with it. That means when somebody is honored, we're not jealous, we're not insecure, we're not critical. We're not divisive about it. Why did they get promoted or why did they get hired or why did this? Do we think of the church that way or do we think of it like the world where there's jealousy and rivalry and conceit and competition and tension? Together you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of that body. Okay, a few points. We got about 10 minutes. I want to wrap it up here. There's more written in the New Testament on unity with other believers than on heaven and hell. How many of you grew up in church where all you heard was about hell or getting to heaven? (laughs) There's more in the New Testament about unity with other believers than there is about heaven and hell. And we're not told to, to build unity. We're actually told to keep it. Unity is already there. You just have to preserve it. You have to protect it. You have to guard it. You have to keep it. It's the same way in marriage. You don't build unity. You just keep the unity in the covenant that God established. It's the same in the family of God. We work to keep the thing that Jesus died for, the thing that Jesus prayed for, the thing that Paul commanded. See, Jesus prayed for it, and then Paul spent all the rest of the New Testament commanding it. Commanding us to be in unity. Why? Because we're so stubborn and we're so prideful and we're so selfish and we're so easily offended and we want to cancel people and cancel people out and disagree with people. We don't know what it's like to really stay connected. And it hurts God's church and it hurts God's plan and it hurts this church. See, from God's perspective, there's one flock and one shepherd, John 10 16. There's one flock that's that's God's people, and then there's one shepherd. I, I, we're part of the flock. We, we don't get to self-appoint ourselves to, to our own shepherding place. Well, I'll just be my own shepherd, so I don't have to deal with this flock. You're going to have to deal with another flock. There's more people out there. And that's the problem when we disconnect so easily. You, I, I've had it with this place. Well, there's, are you going to another place? Yeah. Well, there's people there too. Are you with me? Do we forget that? That there are people everywhere we go? Unity doesn't need to be created, it just needs to be protected. The unity in your marriage, the unity in your family, the unity you have with Jesus, the unity you have with one another. Now, some of you are saying, okay, well, this sounds kind of fairy tale, Daniel. There's a lot of differences, a lot of backgrounds, a lot of upbringings. Yep, there are. And Jesus knew that when he said this. And Jesus knew this when he prayed this. Some of us might even wonder how we can be in unity with people that we disagree with. Well, just think about it like this. Take, take a simple stock of how many times you and yourself have failed, messed up, been flawed, been frail, all these things in your life, yet in the same way, God has remained in unity with you. Think of all the times God has committed himself to you at your best, but also at your worst. And still, that shouldn't be a question in our minds. This, this is God's example to us. Through our failures, God is still committed to us, which means through people's failures, we can still be committed to them. You ever notice how it's so much easier to, to, to want forgiveness for yourself, but to give forgiveness to people who wronged you? Come on. All of us. If somebody wrongs me... I'm going to remember it. But if I wrong somebody, I want them to forget it fast. I want them to let it go. I'll be preaching forgiveness on that. Hey, you know, we're called to forgive. We're, we just need to let things go. Yeah, but it didn't cost me anything. It cost them a lot. And this is the reality of what he's talking about. See, here's, here's what's important to remember. God is building his church with broken and imperfect people. Which means that some area of your life right now, right here, this morning, whether you're watching by a device, on a screen, or whether you're sitting here in the seat, some area of your life is imperfect or broken. Which means that imperfect or broken area is going to trigger someone, hurt someone, do something, say something, suggest something, insinuate something to someone, and they're going to be triggered. Like, boy, this church thing sounds fun. Hey, it's about as fun as the world. (laughs) except Jesus gives us the remedy for it. We stay in unity to him and to one another in spite of whatever is coming, trying to come between us. Your purpose in God's church is to be in unity with other Christians who are broken and imperfect. People who, watch this, don't meet your expectations. Do you know why offenses come so easily to some of us? Because they didn't meet our expectations. Man, that guy ticked me off. Why did he tick you off? Because you expected something, and he didn't do it. You expected him to say this, but he didn't. You expected him to behave a certain way, but he didn't. And now you're offended, and so you have to choose what are you going to do with that. Now, he's just living his own life, not thinking he's offended anybody, just doing his own thing. He's not bothered by it. But you're starting to find the seeds of division being planted in your heart in that moment. And you're about to make a choice. Do I stick with God's family, God's people, or do I just break off? And do my own thing. And here's the thing. Some of us had homes where our model was to break everything apart and blow it all to hell. That's how things were resolved. I'm leaving that job. I'm out of here. I'm breaking off this relationship. I'm calling off the wedding. It's always at a level 10. Some people are grabbing under their seats right now. Is he talking about me? No, they're talking about a human, the human race. I'm talking about all of us. There's some area in your life and my life where we're already at a level 10 and we're just waiting for somebody to pull that trigger and that's it. We're off. We want to call it off. Some of y'all make me mad. I'm like, I'm finding another church. I'm going to go pastor somewhere else. Forget this. Had enough with these people. I've had enough with Haley. I'm done with her. I've been working with her for 17 years. Aside from her, my mom, my wife, it's about the only women... I've been around that long. I'm done. I'm out. I got to behave myself. Sorry. My wife's out of town. That's why I could say stuff like this. So, I was an observant kid in church. I remember the first time I remember seeing church drama. Save the drama for your mama. Oh, just go to church. It's there. Save it for church. I remember it was the first time. I was a little kid, I must have been 11 years old. I walked up, there was was, um, two seats. It was like the second row. And there was this lady, this red-headed woman. She's probably in her 60s. And she would sit there with her husband every single Sunday. Because I remember we would sit on, I'm sorry, she was on the third row. We would sit on the second row and she would always be behind us. So when we would come in, I would see her already sitting there with her Bible. And this must have been going on for months and months and months. And then one day, I came and there were some different people there. Well, she showed up late to service with her husband. And and she just looked at the scene and just looked at these people and was like, and just walked off. Like that, that expressive. (laughs) And, and the woman goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, am, am I in your seat? Am I, am I in your seat? She goes, no, just forget it, never mind. And I remember catching that vibe and just thinking as a little kid, dang, it gets hot in this place. Fast. This is serious, man. Some ladies are about to throw blows here in the, throw hands right here in the church aisle right before worship. What is going on? But, but that was my first, I remember that's that my first mental picture of church drama. And I remember the lady got out of her seat and tried to teach her. No, ma'am, you can have this. I'm sorry, we didn't know. This is our first time here. That woman's in hell right now. If it didn't, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Tell. <laughs> yeah, she thought it was a VIP seat. It's just, it's a church family. You know, it, it, when you get m- more mature, at some point you start Making relationships with the ushers, and you start telling them, hey, if you need my seat, let me know. We'll give it up for people. If anybody needs my seat, just let me know. We'll get out of the way. I'm here by myself. I don't want to take up this whole section. Somebody else can have it. Remember, there were some businessmen that started, uh, three businessmen that started a business together in the church. And it was going well for a while, and then it tanked, and it all went south. And these were three separate families and three separate uh, businesses that came together for one business. They each had kids. All the kids were together. These are some of my friends. And and it went south, and this one stayed in this church. One went to another church, and one went to another church. And then the wives lost their friends, and the kids lost their friends. Now, that kind of sucks if you think about it that we would allow money or business to get in the way of family, God's family. Like the world, the world can do this all day, and we don't blink an eye. We leave, divide, cancel, unfriend, all of that. But in church, it costs people a lot more. I I never saw those friends again. Friends with them for a couple of years. We didn't have Facebook or social media back then, cell phones. Never saw them again. I don't ever know what happened to them. I know how they left. I know why they left. I know the reasons. And I remember, this stuff would just sit in me as a kid, seeing that drama with the seat, seeing that drama with the families, seeing people gossip, seeing people slander, seeing people backbite. And then you start reading the New Testament, and you wonder why God talked, the Apostle Paul talks so much to all this so much. He spends more time talking about this pretty much than anything, about the way we treat each other and the way we talk to each other. In fact, he goes on to say, now that you're in Christ, there's no more of this gossiping and slandering and backbiting like the world does, but now that you're in Christ, you're different. Honor the Lord with the way you live and the way you speak and the way you think and the way you conduct yourselves. This is all about what, you know, so some of us are wondering, what's our purpose? Your purpose is to be in unity with other Christians, On the same page, working to figure that out. Number two, unity was so important to Jesus that he prayed for it and so important to the Apostle Paul that he commanded it. 1 Corinthians, he said, I urge you believers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you be in full agreement in what you say and that there be no divisions or factions among you, but that you be perfectly united in your way of thinking and in your judgment about matters of the faith. For I've been informed about you, brothers and sisters, by those of Chloe's household, that there are quarrels and factions among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you says, I'm a disciple of Paul, or I'm a disciple of Apollos, or I'm a disciple of Cephas, or I'm a disciple of Christ. And then he asked this question, has Christ been divided into different parts? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And this is what happens in church life. And if you're new to church, are you sure you want to get in? I'm just giving you the nice little intro. Like most of the time it's cool, but at some point you'll hit a wall with someone or you'll hit a wall with something. I'll say something. Pastor Henry will say something. Haley will say something. Josh will say. Somebody will say something and it didn't meet your expectation. You didn't know that's how God speaks. God says all kinds of things to say about life and and, and marriage and and money and the way we treat each other and what we see and what we do. But we're not aware of it and then it happens and then we're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And we're triggered. And we wonder how we're going to make it. And we have a choice to make. And here Paul's saying, "Hey," um, and he's talking about this. Even even with church life, you can't be like, "Well, I'm not for Pastor Daniel. I'm I'm for Pastor Henry. <laughs> well, I'm not for Pastor Henry. I'm I'm for Pastor Josh." Well, you know, I, I go to this church because I, I I'm really really friends with Pastor John. But if he's not here, then I'm not here. That's not what God's trying. He's not building a social club. It's not our favorite coach. <laughs> it's a family. Divided means to be separate, being separated into parts, being in a state of disagreement or disunity. Luke chapter 11, verse 17, check this for your life, for your friendships, for your church, and for your marriage. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Where there's disunity, it won't stand. Where there is no unity, it won't stand. Church, business, friendship, teams, core, Jesus was showing us this timeless statement that won't allow us to escape this powerful principle of being decided when it comes to unity, where we're going to stand. He shows us basically division is destructive. Open your your feed. Division is destructive. Look at the world. Division is destructive. Look at the church, unfortunately. Division is destructive. It hurts people. Now, why am I preaching this today? Two reasons. I gave you the first one because Jesus prayed this on the last night of his life. Pray that Christians would live in unity. And two, I'm preaching this today because Christians don't take it seriously enough. And as a side note, I think it's a significant part of why our country is in the state that it's in, is why it's broken like it is, because the church is not modeling what Jesus prayed for the night before he died. Prayed that we would be so focused on, not our activity, but our function with one another. This is more important than what we do. It's who we are and how we coexist with one another. Are you with me? Okay. Now, now this is this is four decades of church life talking. This is not like I've seen a couple of disagreements. You know, and, and, and you know, for those of you who are older in church life in the eighties and nineties, everybody just used the Holy Spirit as a ticket to do whatever they wanted. You know. Oh. He offended me. That's it. The Holy Spirit is leading us to a new church. Oh really? Don't question the Holy Spirit. This is God. so all right, who did you not get along with? Oh, it's between me and God. You know, And, and this is the kind of stuff that I'm not supposed to be getting out of the way of the camera. I could tell they're giving me signs here. Sorry, sorry, Church. Online, church online fam. I'm a rookie at this. Give me a break. We don't use God as an excuse to divide from one another. When I, was, when I was a little kid, I remember all these friends of mine, there were, there were a bunch of them. that there, His dad was a pastor, and I would meet him, and his dad was a pastor, and, then he, and his dad was a pastor. But they were all friends. I figured, and then I figured out they all had roots in the same church. They'd all come from the same church. And I was like, and this is when I was like 12. We're asking, why, why are you guys all friends, but like you go to different churches? Well, we all used to be part of one church, but all our dads got into a, a disagreement with the pastor, and they all started their own churches. And that was just kind of the ticket. If you didn't, it was almost like in America. If you don't like the boss, you go start your own thing. And I'm telling you, when you do that, first of all, uh, none of those churches are around to this day. None of them lasted three to five years. They all collapsed. And the sad thing is, is that people felt justified. Instead of waiting for God's anointing, they let, wanted to be self-appointed. There's a difference between being God-anointed and self-appointed. Self-appointed when you say, well, I'm not dealing with this marriage. I'll just go find another one. That doesn't mean the next one's going to be great. You appointed yourself as perfect and now moving into somebody else's life? Is that all of a sudden marriage is going to be great? You got some work to do with some thinking. And all of us have this in us where there's something in us that just wants to cut and run when things get rough, when things get tough. Last point. What's the remedy for all of this? Again, unity. Unity. Third point. Aim to be unified with one another through disagreement through disappointment, and through misunderstanding. Ephesians chapter 4, this is Paul again speaking, pleading with us, make every effort. Everybody say every effort. Make every effort. You know when you get up in the middle of the night, and you know you shouldn't eat anything. You know you should not be eating anything, and you're like, I can't eat that. That's really bad, and and that's really bad, but it's not as bad as this. I'm going to eat that. Right, and you pull out that peanut butter, and you slap on. You're like, I deserve an extra layer, and you throw it on there. And then you get jelly, and you're like, man, that's not enough jelly. I can afford this jelly. I'm gonna throw a whole other layer on there too. And then you just chomp into that thing, and it's midnight or two in the morning, whatever it is, and you're like, you know, you you make every effort to satisfy that hunger. I'm talking about that kind of effort where you go after the very thing that you know, you want. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Not binding yourselves together with people agreeing with you. Guys, we've got to teach our children this. We've got to teach a generation this. They're being canceled left and right in their teenage years. Like we had a chance to screw up in our teens and 20s and it not be all over social media. Now you have to erase your feeds, try and get your uh, history deleted, hire some company to scrub the internet because of shame. Are Are you following me? Do you know how psychologically bad this is for our generation? Do you want to know why people are screwed up right now and family counselors and therapists are banking and rolling in the dough right now and their schedules are full because people don't know how to do these things, get along with one another. In the pandemic, Homes have exploded with frustrations and contention and friction and fighting. This is right now. This is reality. Here's the thing. We have to live out. This doesn't go away once the masks come off or the vaccine comes. The residue of all this and the way people are living and thinking and functioning and existing is going to carry on for quite some time. And people have built into themselves new habits right now that are now part of their life. Canceling, unfriending, hot tempers, offended, violated in anything anybody thinks or says, sensitive, overly sensitive. Are you with me? We've got to show a generation that what Jesus prayed for is important to us. It starts in our homes, and then it should permeate every relationship in our church. Look, guys, I said that point Aim to be unified with one another through disagreement, disappointment, and understanding. Because if you stay in this church more than 12 months, you are going to have a disagreement or a disappointment or a misunderstanding. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. And more importantly, there will be offenses. Someone will offend you. Someone will offend your spouse. But unresolved offenses destroy unity. Unresolved ones. See, the moment you're offended, you hear everything different. Come on, you know, you get into a fight with your wife, you haven't talked and since yesterday, last night, and then she says something you're like, what did you say? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by good morning? <laughs> you really want me to have good morning? You're not good. Oh, you're hearing everything different. Like you grounded your kids, your kids are in the room, they come down, say, Dad, can I have a glass glass of water before I go to bed? What do you mean you need a glass of water? What, what is that supposed to mean? That I, don't give you, that I don't give you water? Are you suggesting I don't provide for you enough? Do you, do, you, do you think I, I pay for these water bottles so that you can just go out and leave them all over the house? Like, what do you mean? Right? There's something in us that is, that is triggered when we're offended. And here, the moment we're offended, we hear everything differently. Part of our responsibility is to make every effort to keep the unity in the spirit binding ourselves together with peace. I'm closing this message today with this thought in mind because I want us to understand that there is something far deeper that God is trying to do in all of us than just show us what the next turn is, what the next step is. Because the next step may be somebody's salvation because of you. It goes back to the first thing I talked about. Jesus said, pray that they stay one so that the world will see me in them. And what if your next step is to be so united with people of different backgrounds, of different upbringings, different color, different political party, different understanding, and to engage in those relationships in such a way where the world sees that and says, I can't find that anywhere else but the church. We got some work to do, don't we? I believe by God's grace, we're going to get there. I believe by God's grace, we're going to be a church that continues to model that. This is something we preached on in the beginning. and something we continue to live out. I am believing it's going to overflow into your life. In fact, I'm going to pray that right now, that God will give you the grace to live this out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your peace, for your comfort. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace and the strength and the understanding to live unified by your spirit, to learn what it's like to lay down our pride, our demands, our frustrations, to learn what it's like to to not just coexist, but co-labor with people in our church family for the good news of Jesus Christ. Not to just coexist, but to co-labor with God for a world that needs an example that it can't find outside of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would learn this so well so that our children can see something and be attracted to the church, that the chaos and the brokenness of the world would be unattractive and that the beauty of God's church would become more attractive. Lord, you've given us a huge responsibility, but you prayed for us. You prayed that the grace would be there for us to do this. You prayed that we'd be able to see this through. Lord, teach us. We need you. We can't do it without you. We can't do it with our opinions. We can't do it with our own own thoughts. We can't do it with our own words. We need your grace to not cut and run, to not break off relationships, to to not... disconnect when we when we don't agree or we, we can't surrender or can't submit or can't get along Lord teach us to lay down that rebellion to lay down that pride and to humble ourselves so that we'll be exalted oh God we pray that you teach us this so that we stay the God anointed not the self-appointed As we close today, I pray this verse over you. Psalm one thirty-three. It says, "Where there is unity, God commands a blessing." I want you to think about that for your life, your business, your marriage, your finances. When you're home, when your life, when, you're, when you are in order, where there's unity, God commands a blessing. I pray that blessing on you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said. If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.